0: Good afternoon. It's five o'clock in the UK, midday in Cayman, or more accurately, it's seven minutes past, or as we'd call that, midday Cayman time. Um, so, <laughs> starting fashionably late. Um, my guest this week on what comes next live is Aniki Hill, um, who has the palm trees that I imagine Cayman Bay uh, behind her. Thank you for the, for the audio-listening audience. She just moved out of the way so I can really feel jealous of the weather back, <laughs> weather back home in Cayman. Where I am in London, it is, well, winter <laughs> and dark and miserable and all that stuff. So, um, anyway, uh, Anakin and I met quite a number of years ago, uh, and she wears, has worn multiple hats over the years, uh, but, uh, a leader in the coaching community in Cayman, also a senior corporate leader, um, in the, generally in the insurance industry um and um as always just here to talk about whatever is on our guest mind so um perhaps with a little bit of background to start with and then whatever's on your mind welcome um and send the cayman warmth over to london for me anarchy
1: i'm sending it in droves like the care bears i don't know if you remember the care bears i do so you'll see those heart shapes of warmth coming your way. Awesome. Um, and thank you for having me, Tom. I think this is um, this is actually very timely for me. Um, it, there's a lot of thinking that has been going into my career and what we're up to in Cayman. And uh, you know, you were actually the first introduction to a coach I think that I that I had uh, when you started share laws in Cayman. And there are things that I've learned from you that um, that have really stuck with me over the years. So. So it's a pleasure to come full circle 10 years later. You know, it's, um, I think we met 12 years ago in a, in a workshop that you were hosting on behalf of Sherlock Cayman. Mhm. Um, my, my colleague who, who did similar training to me was working with you, Kristen Ford. That's right. Yeah. So, and then not, not long after that, I was inspired to go and become a coach of my own. You know, I, I, I actually found you at the very beginning of this career mm-hmm. and introduced me to coaching and I went on to train as a coach. Uh, a little bit about me. I am, um, while you're homesick for Cayman, sometimes I get a little homesick for the UK. Uh-huh. <laughs> um I did um much of my education was in the UK and um I spent I, I did I read a lot at Durham and then went on to do the bar in Nottingham and came home to Cayman thinking I would practice a, as a as an attorney and found myself in a place that didn't feel authentic to me. Uh-huh. And found myself transitioning quite quickly 3 years into my practice uh 2 years into my practice into insurance so one of my first clients that I signed for myself into the law firm when they learned that I was interested in leaving law drew me into insurance and that sounds like you know that sounds like the the devil right <laughs> so many people a lawyer going into an insurance company immediately sounds like uh like two horns but what drew me to insurance was healthcare. You know, healthcare is such an important uh, part of no matter where we are. It is part of every political agenda in the world. It is a, it's a constant need and a constant, um, a constantly growing and evolving uh, space to be in. And I came from a healthcare background, but healthcare is in my family background. Every professional woman before me on both sides of my family was either a nurse or a teacher. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them were nurses, including my mother, my grandmother. And, uh, I was first of all not interested in mathematics and not interested in body fluids. So I made a decision to go into law. But my, what took me into health insurance was kind of coming full circle. I'd avoided healthcare. Quite intentionally and then landed in, in health insurance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the health, health insurance space in the Cayman Islands is an interesting one because it is a bit of a, a hybrid. Uh, we do have certain social elements that would resemble the NHS. And we also have a very vibrant, um, uh, community that is based on a very American centric system of, of health insurance. But early in my role, I started in a startup that as one of the first two employees in a startup and my role involved building a team Uh then set me up to learn a lot about leadership which has become one of the one of the flags that I love to fly high you know it's it's one of my one of the stars in the sky that I'm continuously walking toward and that's where I landed in coaching Uh not long after meeting you I met you very very early, like in the first couple of months of me being within my first leadership role in health insurance as the uh, the country manager for a healthcare provider here, health insurance provider. Uh-huh. And now, um, two years into that, I went on to become a coach and a leadership coach, um, trained at, in the United in the United States. I flew to New York every month for about three or four years. Uh-huh and did my training and also became a trainer of coaches very much like you <laughs> becoming a trainer of coaches but you know one of my prou- proudest moments in coaching two of my proudest moments in coaching came from number one building my team right and number two and in this order uh, training hr managers throughout the united nations agencies as part of an accomplishment coaching team mm. so where I am today, though, is in an interesting place. So this is mm-hmm. what I thought would might, might be of interest to both you and your audience. Right. In, in 2021, well, in 2020, Cayman went into a pretty extreme lockdown. I think everywhere in the world went into some version of a lockdown, but Cayman's at the time was very extreme. And I think you will remember this because there would have been some back and forth, you know, being able to travel in and out of the country was very, very difficult. But... Being able to travel outside of my district only happened twice a week, depending on the name of your, your surname, so that you could go to the supermarket, right? right. So we were really in, a, in an intense lockdown. What was interesting about it at the time for me professionally was that I was away from my team. Mm-hmm. My team, we were all locked down in our homes. We transitioned to work from home. And a couple of things came out of that. One was learning how to lead from a distance. Right. And two was also working with the healthcare care community on how to deliver care during a period of lockdown.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This became a 16 hour a day job, even mm-hmm. at home, even from the comfort of my living room. It was not it was it was a very intense moment because at the time I was also leading the health insurance standing committee who was working with the government to make sure that COVID was covered, mm-hmm. that medicine was covered appropriately. And so so there's certain hot topics that showed up during that period of time in our industry. What came out of it, though, around the same time was that generally my my previous, the the insurance company that I represented in the Cayman Islands, made a decision around that time to move out of the the Caribbean. Mm. So we moved out of the Caribbean, and in 2021, the, the 30th of September was my last day in a role that I had been in for almost 12 years. Yeah. So... This is where they got interesting. Right. What does a leader do when she is going through this transition? And one of the things that was a concern to me most was making sure that my team was well placed. Uh-huh. It, was a, it was a it was an experience of great vulnerability, um, an experience of deep grief, because this is something I built from the bottom up. Uh-huh. It was also um a sense of responsibility, and, and I'm still testing whether or not that was even mine to carry. But, it, you know, some of us are carriers, and it made a big part of my role was taking care of my team and making sure that they were well placed. Mm-hmm. And every single one of the members of my team who entered insurance, having no insurance background, left our organization as some of the top insurance professionals in the Cayman Islands, and in, in some cases, actually, in some of the top in the Caribbean. And so it was a sense of pride to see them go off and, you know, it's almost like seeing your kids go off to college and then get straight A's, right? Something you probably know about. But it's, uh, it was a, it was also a moment though, personally, where I got, I got an opportunity to rethink who I get to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I entered into at that time, was, first of all, I do not want to go back into an office immediately. I don't know what it's like to be an adult without being in a nine to five Monday to Friday. So it was an adventure for me. It was an opportunity for me to reset and have this adventure of really getting to know what it what it's like to be out in the wild, as one of my friends calls it, a fellow coach calls it, out in the wild, not tethered to a to a corporate entity. And who do you become in that moment? So in October of 2021, I entered my full-time coaching practice for the first time. I'd been a coach for 10 years, uh-huh. had clients that I'd been coaching, as well as an internal coach for 10 years, uh-huh. and had never done it full-time.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, of course, that, that was a huge opportunity in a number of ways, because I, 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 I had never had an unstructured day Weekday outside of vacations for 15 years. You know, I've not since college, I had never been in a position to take a nap on a Monday afternoon at three o'clock mm-hmm. and then work into the night and get the things that I needed to get done with no guilt and no concerns that someone was going to be upset about my performance. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe you can speak to this, Tom, because I know you went through a similar transition, but that is such a mental shift, right? Hmm.
0: Well, I mean, uh, we'll come back to it, but it's, it's interesting. I'll answer that, but I want to come back later to, to like what the transition, what what went through your mind when you finished those 12, 12 years, and what came next. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went out on my own about more than a dozen years ago. Um, but the thing was, I wasn't a corporate person. Right. I'd actually, at felt corporate. I was the commercial director for one of the large family groups of companies in Cayman. Mm-hmm. But w- my shift came much, much earlier. I was a chartered accountant, moved to Cayman in 1989. So quite a long time ago. Um, and I remember, um, three or four years later, I joined that, the family business I worked for, for and I was there for 16 years, but it never felt like I had a, a, a regular job because i wasn't reporting to anybody uh i was responsible for just making the businesses work and i didn't have an office generally i just carried a laptop around the many different businesses we had and plugged it in or whatever um but i do remember it being quite weird to not have to report my time or whatever so to be honest by the time i got into launching a coaching business it really was no different i was used to working from home working remotely and, in fact, when COVID came around, I was totally used to uh, – when I uh, – the last role I did within Sherlocks was, was they asked me to be the global CEO in 2014, and I did that for two years. I was totally used to – um apart from being literally on first-name terms with the American Airlines London flight attendants in Miami, um, which is the time at which you know you're traveling too much, I was totally used to it. But it is a big transition, just as it was a big transition for people – um, in, in, when the lockdown started to happen around the world in March 2020. Um, and by the way, I didn't get to Cayman for 16 months when that started because of the Cayman travel restrictions. That was tough not to see my boys who were all back then living in Cayman. The thing I'm interested in though is that that, when you, we take that moment in time is, um, generally I advise people on a, at that point of career shift and often my clients, leadership coaching clients have those things happen. To take three or six months off, if they can afford it, take three yeah. or six months off, spend the first two or three months deliberately not looking for anything at all, doing something to occupy them, travel, whatever it is, right? To actually work, to, because then things tend to become emergent as to um, what they are. But it feels like you, you, you kind of went, well, now, hang on, I've had this opportunity to do a full-time coaching practice, but I've never, I've always combined it with A corporate structure and responsibilities and being a corporate leader um so what was it what what just what was it what was your unique experience what was it like for you to to perhaps have a nap at three o'clock on a monday afternoon but then work into the evening Uh, what was it like to go from structured to unstructured
1: well i did take that time off at first you know i I took I, i took about a month Mm-hmm. Before really jumping in, I did have an ongoing client that started you know within that month, but it didn 't feel like work and in truth, in many ways, coaching has never felt like work to me. Mm-hmm. Coaching has always felt to me like like personal self expression um it there were There were a few things about that experience that have stood out to me one is the feeling of being unmoored mm-hmm. and really having to reinvent how I saw myself hmm. i didn 't realize how much. Of my identity was tied up in how I saw my performance at, in my role. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is a job that I love. This is not something that I that I was like, oh, I'm so glad to be out of the office. It was not something that I did voluntarily. While the Great Resignation was happening, um, I was I was being laid off. Right, <laughs> right. So this is a completely different mental mental space to be in. So there was a period of grieving. There was also a period of rest, mm-hmm. and in the you know. And, you know, to, to kind of spoil the end of the story, I have returned into industry. I returned into industry on the 1st of August. But mm-hmm. then it felt like a choice. Right. Well, the choice. And my practice continues. But so much has shifted since then. So to to, to, to kind of address your initial question was what was that feeling like initially of, of coming out of, of the structure? It was at the same time as being free. It was also a sense of feeling very, very vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and, and unmoored. And there was a lot of self reflection, a lot of introspection. And then came a period of creation. Mm-hmm. And from that, from that, I developed a pro, several programs for working with teams of senior leaders. Okay. I also joined a collective of coaches out of Los Angeles who focus on on C-suite coaching, the Uh C-suite collective. Um, and We call call ourselves the TCC. Uh And one of the things that has been a very big – I've been working on two sides of one coin, and it's been really exciting. One is supporting coaches to be able to transition their practice to work with the C-suite, which is a very unique format of coaching. And the other is to actually work with the C-suite to learn how to coach their teams or lead their teams. Uh-huh. So a couple of themes that have come out of that. One, one theme that definitely came out of that within working with, with groups of leaders has been the, the, um, traditional dread around the term performance management. Right. What is performance management and why do we dread it? We hate the evaluation form. We don't like the uncomfortable conversation. So what would we be doing if we shifted our relationship to performance management? What if we were actually seeing performance management as something that is part of our day to day life? What if performance management, if taken off of a form, became a structure or a mechanism within relationship? That was one of the big themes that came out of it. Another very big thing, that theme that seemed to come up for me a lot as well, was work on diversity. Mm -hmm. I think the DIB work throughout the world has, you know, taken a huge jump, um, and I was slow to the punch because, first of all, Cayman is such a multicultural place. Right. Our DIB conversation is different. It, It is true that that it exists here, but it is different. So you couldn't take something out of Los Angeles and just drop it in Cayman. Likewise, you couldn't take something out of London and just drop it in Cayman. Cayman is a very interesting melting pot, and it's a tough place to describe. I don't know how you describe this to to clients, but I'm always like, we're the New York of the Caribbean, in many ways, just as expensive, just as diverse. (laughs) I think,
0: (laughs) in general, what do I say when people ask, apart from um, the the normal thing they talk about is the nonsense about tax havens. But anyway, um, but in terms of what it's like is say, well, when you've got 110 nationalities and 60,000 people, um, what people from Cayman tend to struggle with when they move away is if they live in a monoculture.
2: Mm, mm -hmm. So
0: the area of London I live in is, and the particular town I live in is, is very, very diverse in terms of people's backgrounds Ethnicities, socio-economic, and I'd feel really weird mm-hmm. if, if I lived somewhere that wasn't that varied. Yeah. Know? So, and and, <laughs> I, I, and I've got a good friend who moved after many years in Cayman moved to Jersey in the offshore field, and they re- and they weren't Caymanian, but they lived in Cayman a long time, and they would they really struggled with the fact that it's much more of a monoculture. Yes. So, Cayman is tremendously diverse. It has its issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but also, I mean, you know, if any Caymanian listening to this knows who your mother is and knows who your family is, and you have your own identity, and we always go who you are and this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. But
0: your mother is a tremendous leader, um, mm-hmm. as are you in Cayman. But in Cayman, you don't have to say female leader. Because we have tons of female leaders, right?
1: (laughs) Right. And it it was traditionally such a matriarchal society. Absolutely. So there's that that piece that I found so interesting to bump into in C-suites, where women are uncomfortable. I was like, how is this a thing? I have not experienced. But I was also really sheltered. You know, my I, speaking of my mother, one of her pieces of advice to me is that to remember my last 12 years has been within a culture of my own making. Uh-huh. A leader that was incredibly my, my MD. Um, In fact, the entire the, the board that I reported to within my my previous organization was incredibly progressive. You know very, very progressive um they still voted Republican. I don't really understand that but that they, they, that's for them to reconcile. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some of the best bosses I've ever had, and, and you know to, so much so that I, you know I credit them with having spoiled me as a woman in the in the world in the working world to right. expect equality right. Because I know what it looks like, and I know that it's possible. Mm. And, you know, finding that now as missing in certain seasons that I have coached has been a very interesting conversation to have. So you expect to walk into the EIB conversation and have things like race come out, mm. and even sexuality, because those are the, like, the gender and sexuality, because those are, like, the buzzwords through. is actually pretty good at those things. Mm. But gender is still, still, like, we we are really, really behind when it comes to gender in certain spaces. So that was a real surprise to me within my coaching. But the training of a coach to become a coach to the C-suite is hmm. also an interesting transition. So many people come to coaching without having a background of leadership. You and I came from backgrounds of leadership.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, we came from backgrounds of corporate leadership, or, or in your case, you were high responsibility, right, business experience. Uh, on the ground business experience where you're making decisions that impact the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people, yes when we have coaches enter the industry and they are trained well trained coaches from from levels that are junior mm-hmm. uh, from their previous lives, you know like for instance, you know there's some coaches that enter from being from coffee shops they're twenty three years old and they, they've been working in a coffee shop and they wanted, they want this as a career. Sometimes they're coming at it with an advantage of having a beginner's mind, which uh-huh. allows for curiosity in coaching. Uh-huh. But one of the things that I'm noticing in the coaching of C suites among other coaches is creating a discussion around what does it take to walk in the door of a C suite and be taken seriously. Yes. You essentially have to become a leader. You have to show up with with the with the clear markings of leadership and competence, or you'll be laughed out the door. Hmm. And how do you bridge that gap? Some of these coaches are excellent and they're actually perfect for a a C-suite assignment of of coaching, but they are struggling with walking in the door. Yeah. So, and this comes back to the flip side of our conversation about the transition. So I walked out of a a leadership position into a coaching practice. Right. Where I then coached leaders. However, I saw a transition on the way back in that was even more interesting. Coming back into senior leadership, I'm now the vice president for group insurance services for a regional um, insurer. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I've, I've come back in with is the insight of a coach and the kind of insight that a full time coach uh-huh. could provide to the C suite. Uh-huh. The C-suite is very much programmed. In many cases, the traditional C-suite. There are exceptions throughout the world. However, even those who feel themselves to be exceptions can benefit from the the introspection and the questioning uh, the, of a coach, uh-huh. particularly one with a beginner's mind. The C-suite of the world right now is immersed in certain trends: great resignation, the great re- re- the great regret, you know, recession proofing. Um, you're looking at things like the 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 techno- technological upgrades that are taking place all over the world. You're having the EIB discussions. And sometimes it's a tick the box. Sometimes it's a real inquiry into who can we be and how or can we be better in the world? Businesses are looking at going green and not just greenwashing. And some yep. of them are just greenwashing. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the trends that C suites are paying attention to at the same time as the things that C suites have always had to attend to, which are the responsibility for a a a working group, the responsibility for uh being regulatory compliant, making sure that, you know that and there's also politics in the C suite. You yeah. know, like the the trip lines that that take place within 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 the, within your group within your entire c suite and also the conflict between sales and operations which often shows up within a c suite mm-hmm. right uh, and then of course there is the push for advancement for instance it's facing the cio is often facing the conflict between resources and innovation so oh. all of these tensions are things that that the c suite is dealing with so walking in with live, laugh, love, or just love and light is going to not necessarily get you past five minutes with someone in the C-suite. No. So, how, so I have a question for you. Like, how do you enter the room with a, with a senior leader? How do you get into the conversation? Because I have a way that I would suggest, but I'd be curious to hear what you say.
0: <laughs> yes. When you sent me a note before we came on, you said you'd like to be looking at how senior leaders should choose a coach. Which I think is a good question. And mm-hmm. your, to your question, the honest answer is um, all I do is leadership coaching with C-suite leaders. That's all I do now. I don't do anything with around businesses. I, I hand that off to people. As you know, I ran a business coaching practice. But even then, I found that most of my work was one-to-one with leaders. And that yeah. was not Sherlock-specific stuff. It was what I did. Um, the honest answer is they call me. I'm at that point. So yeah. I, I have people who introduce me in, yeah. right? Um, and if you're working with C-suite leaders, uh, which in my case, they're they're it's more about their persona and style than the size of their organization, um, mm-hmm. but they can be as little as 10 million in revenue. They can be as much as five or six billion in revenue. And those are the clients I work with. So okay. these people have responsibilities in the hundreds of millions sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So- the honest answer is you don't get that phone call unless you've built deep relationships with people who can refer you to them. But yeah. the, in listening very carefully to what you're saying and you're coming in with, in a way, a beginner's mind because you work for a, a large global health insurance company um, and you had the freedom to create your own culture. And I remember being in your generale office in Cayman a couple of times talking to you and I think I did something with you, with your team at one point. Um, yeah. But uh, you know memories flooding back now. Um, but you had a lot of freedom within that, and so you can, also you mentioned the Cayman thing. You come in there and you, you're not used to uh, working as part of a, a C-suite because you ran your own. You were the the CEO, COO, etc. of your business, <laughs> um, and so you're not used to these things. So you come in with a beginner's mind. But the the, the the very question you're asking is a brilliant question and sometimes questions I'm going to I'm not being deflective but questions are more important than answers is I'm suddenly introspecting and going I've been doing this work with leaders for years how do I show up Mm -hmm. and it's a circular to one I've got two two answers to your question one is there's almost a circular answer which is the way you get in the door and get credibility first past five minutes is by showing up as a leader yes And you either know that or you don't know that, and you know how to do it. The second part is a bit tougher. When we used to recruit and train coaches around the world, right, we'd have a choice. We either get a coach who made it come from the coffee shop or something, right, and be a brilliant coach. And actually, that one of the colleagues, one of the people that we're talking about who went through the same coaching program as you, that was exactly their their background. And ultimately, they, they left our business. Because they were being supplanted by people who'd come from, come from a business and corporate experience. Because your option is either take a coach and help them build that corporate credibility, boardroom credibility is what I would call it. Yep. Or you take somebody with boardroom credibility and you make them into a coach. Yep. And so.
1: Yes, that's exactly the discussion. It's
0: quite, it's quite a binary choice. And I'm not a big fan of either or. I prefer both and, but. If, you, if we think of it simply as a binary choice, in my experience over a number of years with people in lots of countries, it was far—it was—it's ve- very difficult to take a, a business slash corporate person and make them a coach. I'm speaking firsthand because you think you're an expert in everything, and it's not your job to provide advice and expertise. That's not your pri- your primary fo- focus as a coach and a coaching mindset is to believe the client has the answers within them, and your job is to draw them out. Yeah. At the same time, like I started working with a you know major corporate executive a year ago, and the, in the first call, they're talking in the introductory call, which is the one which could end after five minutes. They were talking to me for over an hour about the complex detail of acquisitions and finance and all of this stuff, and I'm going, yeah, I've done that, all right? And now I get it, I understand it. <laughs> it's like, and it's sometimes happy coincidence that particular technical area I fully understood, but there is a baseline level of knowledge of how the business world operates, whether from a legal background like yourself or a chartered accountancy background like me or a business background and management background, as opposed to leadership, you have to have it. And ultimately, it's incredibly difficult to take somebody who doesn't have that experience and Mm -hmm. have them bring the gravitas and credibility into the room. One of my jokes is, I, I would I'd often say um, I'm a recovering accountant. The first with apologies to Alcoholics Anonymous, the first <laughs> admitting you have a problem. Why do <laughs> I say that is because because ultimately I've done a lot of work with law firms, accounting firms around the world, some some major global ones and uh, and smaller ones. By saying that they go, ah, he's credible. He's a qualified accountant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so the tough part of the second part is. You really can't do it. Right. And so I think you're if you were looking at it from a commercial standpoint, can you take a brilliant coach and make them a great coach of CEOs and high level corporate people? That's called executive coaching. If you can get them in the door and you typically do that on a 12 week program and it's about behavioral change alone. And the second they talk numbers, that coach will go, well, yes, but let's talk about how that makes people feel and all of that stuff. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I don't even call myself a coach now, to be honest. I call myself a sounding board to leaders. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the dirty secret, well, actually not dirty secret, the the open secret is I'm still coaching them.
1: Yeah. And you know what's cool about this, though, is that, you know, one of of the things that I'm learning in the world of coaching is that there's so much possibility. You know, I I, I use the example of the barista who becomes a coach because I, I actually know one who is now a master certified coach who is coach, coaching like such a generalist. She's able to coach at, at the C-suite level. She's also able to coach at the celebrity artist level. She's a really, really powerful coach. Coach So the point mm-hmm. is she is my sounding board for certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not impossible, but I think what you've touched on is something that I think is actually pretty important. Both the leader who is attempting to bring coaching as a modality to their leadership mm-hmm. And the coach who has no experience necessarily with the type of coaching, I and mean, we're speaking about C-suite, but C-suite is not the only place. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is there's professional sports. There is, um, there is, you know, the celebrity artists. Like, there's so many different niches where coaching can take place at a really high level where it needs to be high performance. Both. So both the 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 leader who wants to to want wants to add coaching to their leadership and the coach who wants to be coaching leaders mm-hmm. come from a place of curiosity. And, yeah. and one of the things that I that I that I found really powerful, I did a training, a DEIB training. I did it kicking and screaming, but I'm so glad that I did it in the end because, you know, Caribbean people, we often come at this from a place of arrogance. And then we actually do the training, particularly Caymanians, because we're so multicultural. Um, (laughs) I did some DEIB training with a group called the Soul Focus Group uh, a a few few months ago. And it was a three-day training, and it was one of the most powerful things I'd come across. Um, And I can't remember where I was going with this, but it was good. (laughs) The curiosity curiosity piece, right? Yes, curiosity. The curiosity piece, coming at this from a place of not knowing. Um, they gave me a lot of insight into the things that you think you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And, and actually coming at something from a place of arrogance, often thinks that you believe indicates that you believe you're right about something. Yeah. It gives you, gives you a, and the minute that you believe you're right about something, you close down possibility. Yeah. So it, it, it really is one of those things that, that has shifted the way that I approach both leadership and, and coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, I am coming at, I'm coming into a C-suite now mm-hmm. with the beginner's mind, having come from, a very, from an incubator that was incredibly safe and empowering. Mm-hmm. But now I get to bring that to this, to this new level, both mm-hmm. as a coach of leaders, as well as a leader who is coaching.
0: So perhaps an answer, I'm conscious that we've, we've been already talking for 35 minutes and we should probably not go on too much longer because the audience is used to things being 30 to 40 minutes. Um, in terms of a question of, you know, uh, not only how coaches can open the door to see coaching senior leaders, how senior leaders could, should choose a coach, things you put in your notes before you came on, that mm-hmm. word curiosity is really key. And I have a, a you know, I've got nearly 2,000 blogs on my website now, and your podcast 101. Um, and but at the bottom of my web page, my homepage, there's some core articles some ideas I've written over the years. And, of course, I have to be open to them, modifying, being able to change, being different. But one of them is I came up with this concept, which I call open leadership, which is four attributes of the types of leaders we need in this world where everything is changing so fast and, you know, the speed of change, et cetera. And the first two are from the they could feel like old world command and control toxic leadership if they're on their own and they're to be brave and to be hungry. All right. But the second two are to be open and humble so that's that to me speaks to curiosity and being aware of when our ego comes into play which also fits in with the word arrogance right so um i think i think the word curiosity is just a is a really key one so how should senior leaders choose a coach ultimately they have to be a that's be a fit and one thing i would note having worked with C um c-suite leaders for a long time is that many of them, particularly in co- larger corporate environments, are not very experienced at leadership. They're very experienced at managing resources, including people. They will have built at a senior level some pretty significant leadership abilities, but they may be unconscious around what those are. Yeah. They may show up as a leader, um, but often when I'm working with a leader, I'm normally working at three levels concurrently. One mm-hmm. is... One is for them to be influencing or we could even say coaching upwards, maybe to the CEO or the board. The other thing is laterally, sideways, with their executive team, their C-suite. Yeah. And then the third thing is within their organization, within their area of responsibility, they might be a division leader and, and on the C-suite of a large company. Right? So how do they handle that? And it's ultimately all about how they show up as leaders in communication. And my one tip was that when I decided to move into this and do this and nothing else a number of years ago, I I realized that when I was in Cayman with the lack of distance between meetings, I used Mm -hmm. to run from meeting to meeting and get seven or eight meetings in a day. Yeah. Face-to-face meetings. And people in LA or New York or London can't conceive of this, but (laughs) it's perhaps a bit more traffic now, but it was very possible to do that. And you could have lots and lots of meetings and you come in there and be coaching people and try to get in a still place with your clients and get them in a still place. And you're realizing, yeah, I'm not modeling this perfectly. So I decided a number of years ago I would work with no more than six clients at a time. I'm very open about that. And I show up. I show up in the way I recommend they show up, which is ready and rested and prepared and present. So if I, if I get a three hour train ride to go see a, a client elsewhere in England, I don't spend the whole time clearing emails or doing busy work. I'll read a book. I'll meditate. I'll listen to music and I'll walk into that meeting completely chilled. Yeah. So, and so a huge part of leadership is how you show up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So those, those are just some thoughts from me on it. But I think my, my key anchor from listening to you is it is what's what does the coach need to consider when they're going to work with a c-suite leader is they need to show up in the way that that is appropriate for the leader themselves to either be or to evolve into with the support of a coach
1: yes yes and holding space for possibility but also from a place of curiosity i think curiosity is something that's free for everyone Mm -hmm. everyone capable of curiosity. And the curiosity is, you know, going, taking a deep dive into curiosity is exactly what a C-suite leader needs because they have their own set of creativity they have their they have their disciplines that they are accustomed to, and actually the part that moves you from manager, which is that I love that you made that distinction, but from manager to leader is to actually create the space for that that creativity and that and that possibility. Hmm. One more thing I wanted to mention before I know we we're, we're we're looking at time <laughs> I love that you were doing one on one work uh, I remember that you were doing a lot of group work in the past um one of the things though that I have found I've kind of done this in reverse. I spent my first probably nine years as a coach working with individuals. And of course I was growing as a coach. So it was different. You you kind of learn what your, who your, what your population is and what your target is and your, and so on. But in the last year, I, having been able to, to attend to this only Mm. and and outside of having a role that was, that was attending, like taking a lot of my attention, um, one of the things that I found that was really, really magical was to work with the group of C-suite. Mm-hmm. So have the CIO, the CHRO, the COO, the CEO, the CFO all in the same room and working with them. Not and of course, in different organizations, they have different titles. The senior leadership, where the buck stops before, before the board, right? Yeah. And having that, having those conversations because what I, one of the things that I found is that I could sometimes get further, get the the team themselves would get further with the synergy between them. Uh And they could actually identify their own gaps or their own strengths, having listening to someone else in the room being, being coached directly. Right. So, so there was, there's a magic to having the whole team in the room and there's also the magic of following that up with, you said you, you you mentioned six weeks, like my, my minimum at this point is six months of yeah. working with one leader directly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and having them, having them then be the source of the shift. Right. So this is the magic behind it. Our curiosity gets to be, gets to cause the, the world to shift. It's it's a beautiful thing.
0: It's cool. And yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting. I, I, put on my website one thing which is i work with leaders but actually what i've found i as you said i used to do a lot of group stuff including came i work with boards and leadership teams um and what i've actually found now is if you work with this if you work one-to-one with a senior leader within a certain period of time they go you know what can you come in and work <laughs> with the group so um and that's so it becomes almost an inevitability and and i make the distinction between facilitation and group coaching
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and it's so it's working with a group as as a coach. And I have a process that integrates with the C-suite leader that's actually leading that group. Um, but it, it is, yeah, it's all about creating space. And I some of my fondest memories were doing that with either public sector or private sector groups in Cayman over the years. And, and also um, there are moments in time where I worked more closely or less closely with companies in Cayman. Um, but it's just... You always just want to feel you've made some little difference, and the first thing you said, you know, that I made a a a tiny part of your journey when you started. That that make you know that makes a difference to me. And there's and just there's I'm just reflecting for a moment as we we finish because there's a Cayman Coaches Association now, right? (laughs) And I think that's really cool because there was you know I think the first business of any size to to be built up was the one that I started and Kristen joined me and then we had a few other people, and also um, there are there, there, I saw, and actually she's, um, she's Caymanian. Her father used to run one of the banks here. Um, but there's a lady called Claire Foy, who's very active in the uh, Cayman Connection group of, of Caymanians overseas. And she's qualified as a coach and she's at Coots Bank in London. Nice. And they just won an award and they, they invest heavily in a coaching culture and they won a national award in the UK as coach for coaching culture. Well, the honorable mention, the runners up for that written on the thing she posted on LinkedIn the other day, was the Cayman Islands government.
1: Yes, they have a huge program. And it's actually, you know, I, I saw them start with, it's part of their evaluation process. Hmm. But, but they even department by department, they're really taking a look at this very seriously because there is a shift that needs to happen. So good on them. But, so, I mean, I'd, I'd love like uh-huh. to be in
0: Cayman more often doing work. I used to fly back and forward when I moved to London five years ago. Mostly, a lot of the time with Cayman Islands government, uh, effectively, C-suite leaders and their teams, uh, but I've been supplanted by the by the industry becoming more evolved. And part of me goes, "Oh, I'd love to get to do more work in Cayman because it's my home." Uh, but the other part goes,
2: "Oh, no, thanks, great, no, no. great. I'm
0: not needed it anymore. It's really cool." So now, the curiosity, the curiosity and space for opportunity and space for possibility. I think was your phrase. Uh, it creates space for possibility. So. It's, it's cool. A bit of reflection here and it was lovely. It was really great to hear your journey. And I know that the list the podcast listeners will pick up a whole bunch of nuggets from, from that. Um, and, uh, I'm sure they, if they'd like to reach you, I'm sure they can find you very readily. You have a, anybody who types in A double N I K K I, it's a very unusual name. Um, so Anarchy Hill can be easily found and connected with, um, and uh, I am sure you've inspired curiosity in people. So do you have, a, I'd like to leave the guests a, a closing word. What's a closing word or th- words or thoughts from, from you?
1: Um, I think my, my closing word and thought is really something that's been on my mind for a few weeks. Um, I have in my mind when I close my eyes an image of a blue butterfly that has its wings moving very slowly. They touch together and they open up and a, there is a storm on the other side of the world. I have it that there is a power to coaching that is very much like movement of the wings of that butterfly. Mm. And um, every step that we move towards open-heartedness and vulnerability, as well as holding the standards for structures that are functional and are sufficient to meet our goals, will have the impact of a storm in the future like a, a storm of possibility mm-hmm. in the so thank you for having me you know tom this has been a real pleasure absolutely I have, still have an open practice yeah, i can be found at the blueislandoracle.com Blue Oracle is much easier to spell than my, sorry, my, than my name <laughs> <laughs> so feel free to reach out you know if you have any other questions or if you would like to touch base again because i'd love to, to to pick your brain again on, on, on other things
0: Oh, I've, I've got a feeling we may need to do another another um, another show. So just yeah, uh,
1: love, to, love to, Thanks for the meanwhile, patience.
0: Meanwhile, we're going to switch off the recording, and you and I can keep talking for a bit. So sure, look, it good. to our guests for tonight.
1: Bye, take
2: care.